Romans chapter 8, verse 24, says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 8.24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? At one time, I hoped we would have a nice pulpit to rest my Bible on. For years, we used these uh, music stands that tend to go up and down. Now, I no longer hope for it because I have it. I can see it. You see that? For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that was written by men, inspired by your Spirit, to write in their own words the thoughts you were giving them. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. May that same Spirit that inspired the writer, Lord, inspire the speaker and the hearer today, Lord, that we leave this place lined up with your will at this stage in our life, Lord, ready to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak this morning on the title, How to Build Your Hope in Hard Times. When prayers are not answered in the way you have asked, how do you keep on hoping? When plans you had hoped to fulfill are not going to be fulfilled, how do you keep on hoping? When someone you love unexpectedly is taken from you, how do you keep on hoping? When your life's disappointments seem to outweigh your victories, how do you keep on hoping? When the answers you understand to be true are outnumbered by your questions, how do you keep on hoping? When shocked by a loss you had hoped would never be yours to experience, how do you keep on hoping? When there is nothing you can see that gives you a good reason to hope, how do you keep on hoping? On hoping. We're speaking this morning on how to build your hope in hard times. Number one, believe that we need to hope in hard times. There's an epidemic of hopelessness in Europe right now because of the upheaval in their economy. Things people had hoped for in their old age has been taken from them. The pensions of pensioners who people retire fairly early in Greece are being cut in half for some of them. And people are losing hope, losing the desire to to live. And in Greece, one person a day is taking their life. The world needs hope. And if we're going to overcome hard times, we must believe in the importance of hope and be sensitive to our own hearts that if hopelessness would try to get a hold of you or me or us or someone else, that we would do what we can to help overcome that thing. Because without hope, we have nothing to live for. So we want to have hope. Believe that we need to hope in hard times. David wrote in Psalms 31, verse 24, Be of good courage, and God shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 33:18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy. Let's say this statement together. God wants us to hope. 
Secondly, we need to base our hope on the whole Word of God. I love these books that you can find at Christian bookstores, God's promises for your every need, and I love the promise box that you put on your breakfast table. The problem I have with those is they're not the whole Word of God. They're just certain promises pulled out of context that could lead a person to disillusionment should they find out the Christian life has some potholes in it. He has promised that every crooked road will be made straight. But he's not promised that they're already made straight. He's promised every mountain will be made low and every valley will be exalted. But he's not promised that it's already been done. In our life's experience, we will experience his straightening hand and his raising hand and his lowering hand in our life through us and to us and for us and from us. But the whole word of God is important. If someone painted a picture to you that the Christian life was going to always be easy, please forgive us. In our zeal, sometimes people heap to themselves itching ears and believe what they hear and then spout it off to others. And life has a way of straightening out your beliefs. It does. Thirdly, we need to deepen our understanding of Romans chapter 8. If you're wondering where to read the Scriptures and kind of at a loss, why don't you go to Romans chapter 8 and read it. We're going to read a few verses from there today. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This man eventually saw heaven himself and he knew what he was talking about. And he saw sufferings as well in this present time. So he saw the glories of heaven and he saw the glories of earth. And he said the two are not worthy to even be compared. What is eternity minus a thousand years? Still eternity. There's no comparison to eternal life, everlasting existence, to this temporal life that may have its seasons of pain. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Everything God has created is waiting with anticipation on the glory that is coming. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. See, God has hope. And his hope is that his will, that none should perish, would come to pass. So he subjected the earth to futility. He has. He's allowed death to reign. If there is no futility, why would we need a Savior? Why would we need a helper? Why would we need need someone to make us strong if there's not moments or seasons of weakness? Why would we need the comforter if there wasn't times of mourning in our life? So he subjected the earth to futility in hope. Creation, everything's been subjected. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption in the glorious liberty of the children of God. The earth is going to be renewed, replaced as it were. A new earth is going to be our place in which to live, which righteousness and peace will dwell. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So in creation, there is a groaning, waiting for that redemption that is coming. And in the Spirit and in ourselves, there's a groaning, Lord, I need that better day. There's that desire. Ah! You ever see a little child groan when they're hungry? Ah! There's a groan in us, longing for that day of redemption. But right now we're living in the day of hope, in hopes that the lost will come into the kingdom. Therefore, we have a season in hopes that they'll come into the kingdom and the Lord will return. And the older we get, the more groaning there is going on. For we were saved in this hope. This is the hope he's talking about, the hope of redemption. We were saved for this. But the hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees? We read this at the beginning. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We're living in the hour and time that we need to develop perseverance and strengthen or build our hope. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Verse 26 goes on to say, and he prays through us with groanings. There's a whole lot of groaning going on. Creation's groaning, we're groaning, and even the Holy Spirit is groaning in helping us to persevere. So we need to believe that we need to hope in hard times if we're going to build our hope in difficulties. We need to base our hope on the Word of God. We need to deepen our understanding of Romans chapter 8, and we need to grow our eternal perspective. You could watch a parade through a knothole in a fence and enjoy what you see. But there's a big difference between that and climbing a tree and watching the parade over the top of the fence. It's time as believers we stop our knothole living and climb up to the mountain of God, the mountain of faith, and look at the big picture. How that Jesus was a lamb slain from the creation of the world. And in the fullness of time, he came and died and rose from the dead. There's still an empty tomb in Jerusalem. His followers became fearless and died in the face of torturous deaths. History was marked by it when the Roman Empire finally stopped trying to fight the resurrection and embraced it and hijacked part of the church and the Roman Catholic Church was born. The resurrection happened. Can we say that? So we need to look. If God did that, then he's got something else going on here, and I have a part to play in it. Amen. I'm not just living Monday to Monday or Friday to Friday, but I'm part of God's eternal plan, and therefore I must live in hope. Romans 8 goes on to say, For we know that all things, we say all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice he does not say each thing works together. There's a lot of things in life that nothing good's going to come out of them. But all of them together, bunched up in our lives, God uses all those things to do good. Good comes out of it. His greatest enemy winds up working for him. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, God made everything, even the wicked, for the day of doom. 
He made vessels of honor and he made vessels of dishonor. And so all things work together for good. You've got to hold on to that. Memorize that. Don't ever let anybody explain that away. We have this promise. Everything's going to work together for good to those who are there called according to his purpose. Are there any people here called according to God's purpose? Then you have this promise that everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. Everything. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, the subject of predestination a lot of times is debated because people get into areas the Bible doesn't even say that people are predestined for this and predestined for that. Read the context. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So everything in my life is ultimately going to lead. You want to know what the good thing that's going to happen? The things that work together for good? What's that good thing? We're going to be conformed to the image of his son. That mean neighbor is developing you patience and mercy and kindness and making you more like Jesus. Like sandpaper takes a piece of wood and makes it a beautiful piece of furniture. Everything works together for good. And God foreknew it. He's not going into shock that somebody punctured your tire when you didn't expect it. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do, Gabriel? Somebody's being mean to one of my children. He knew it. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, and he is our elder brother. Jesus is my big brother. And so he's not going to abandon me and leave me alone from now on. Just hold on. Don't get off the roller coaster. Stay on. You'll be glad you did. Stay hoping. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Look at this. Predestined before you were ever born. Called after you were born. And finally you answered that call and got saved. And were justified. So predestined before you were born. Called before you are saved. And after you are saved, you are justified. The next thing is glorification. We're living between justification and glorification. And some days that may feel like glorification. But put that L back in there. The story's not over. You've been predestined. You were called before you knew it. You were called when you were calling God names. One day you answered the call and called on the name of Jesus yourself and said, I need you. And you took benefits of the finished work of Christ on the cross that he paid for us to justify us, just as if we never sinned, to justify us. Sin is unjustifiable, but he justifies sinners by paying the price for our sin. And so now we're waiting on that next thing, glorification. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's a question. If God is for us, if he predestined us before we were born, if he called us before we answered the call, and after answering the call, he justified us before he's glorified us and we have glorification to look forward to, if he's doing all that, he's for us, right? Tell your neighbor, God is for you. Now tell me the answer to this question. Who can be against us? Can death, life, principalities, powers... Things present, things past, things in the future. Nothing. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all 
things. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for the ungodly. If when we were vile and undesirable and unworthy, not that we would ever be worthy in ourselves, God sent his son for us. Now that you're his child, you think he's going to bail on you now? He's got an investment in you. I knew a moron once (laughs) who invested money in a car. But he didn't invest money in license plates. And he's driving down a highway in Houston. The police pulled him over and said, you can't drive this. You don't have a license plate. He said, well, if I can't drive it, then nobody can. And he set fire to his own car. God's not that kind of fool. He's not. He's made an investment in you, and he's got a license to do so. If you mess up, get back on the road and begin to follow him. Amen? There is greatness in you, and I'm going to prove it to you. Jesus told a parable of two men that were forgiven debts. One was a great debt, one was a small debt. And the conclusion of the parable, the punchline of the story was, who's going to love the master the most? He who was forgiven least, he who was forgiven much. What's the answer? He's forgiven much. You're called to love God more than the rest of us. So receive his forgiveness. Get up and start walking. Amen. So we need to grow our eternal perspective and improve our biblical perspective on death. Since death is the worst that can happen to us, we need to get the Bible way of viewing it. 1 Corinthians 15 is a masterpiece of literature on this subject. Verse 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. In reality, what's the point of hope? We already have life. Hope is for the future. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Adam brought death. Christ brought life. It's a principle of balancing the scales. One man screwed us up, therefore the same principle applies. One man can fix us up so that through faith in him we can be born again and be delivered from death. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is the hope of eternal life. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. And the last enemy, verse 26, that shall be destroyed is death. So death's still our enemy. And it has not yet been destroyed. But our hope is that days are coming. And in the meantime, because of our hope, we don't have to be afraid of it. Improve your biblical perspective on death. Enlarge your view, enlarge, can we say enlarge? Enlarge your view of our promised future. 
Now, there's a lot of different views on Bible prophecy. So my encouragement is read the Bible. Read the Bible. And let it develop your hope. How everything's going to happen. People are writing novels and stories. How it's all going to work out. I don't know. My hope's not in that. My hope's in what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For the believer, death is sleep. Remember the girl Jesus went to raise? He said, I must go wake her. She's asleep. And he said, well, if she's asleep, somebody else can wake her. So he said, okay. It came down to their level, the level of hopelessness. She's dead. The level of faith, hope, and love for believers, death is sleep. I believe we escape the bondage of time. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, are we napping up there? I don't know. But the point is, on this side, we can't wake the person. They're asleep. On that side, God can do what he wants. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him Those who sleep in Jesus. So he's coming back and he's bringing our relatives back. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So they're going to rise first. We need to receive comfort from God's promises. Verse Thessalonians 4 goes on to say, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we say caught up. There's an old song that says, We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Caught up, glory to share. Yeah. And thus we shall always, can we say always, always be with the Lord. How's he going to do it? I don't know. How did he do the other things he's already done? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. May we drink deeply of this promise and receive comfort from it. That our Lord one day will descend from heaven with the shout, a voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There again is a dual view of the dead. On that side, they're present with the Lord. On this side, they're asleep. The verse we just read earlier, verse 15, says that God is coming back with those who are asleep. He's bringing them back. But here on this side, the very next verse says, they're being raised up. See that? So if somebody, if your uncle Billy Bob's a believer and he got cremated, you know, the funeral home made a mistake, don't sweat it. He wasn't in that body anyway. This thing decays. It has to be replaced. Our spirit has been reborn. Our mind is being renewed. Hopefully some of that's going on today. And one day these bodies will be replaced. The older we get, the gladder we are about that. And finally, if we're going to build our hope in hard times, 
We must find ways to build hope in others. We must find ways to build hope in others. Proverbs says, He who waters will be watered himself. Proverbs 11.25 Find ways to build up hope in others. There's an amazing ministry in Covington, Louisiana, called Fairhaven Children's Home. I'm not sure how many children they have at present, but they usually have more than a dozen children who are handicapped physically and or mentally, emotionally, socially. And they're at this ministry, not being cared for by the state, but by a little Baptist church that's also a children's home. Giving these kids hope. And one of the things they do is teach them to give hopes to others. So one of their ministries is filling 40-foot containers with supplies that they have and that they receive. Our church has participated with them for several years. Up to this point, they've sent almost 70 40-foot containers to places like Haiti, Romania. They're getting ready to fill one right now that's going to Sierra Leone, West Africa. It is amazing what this children's home does. It puts the majority of churches to shame in America with what they're doing to bring hope to hurting people. When you're thirsty, naked, and hungry, you're hopeless. And someone comes along and gives you what you need. It helps at least restore your hope in humanity. And hopefully, it's an opportunity to witness so the hope is restored in God. What a model. I couldn't think of a better thing to illustrate a way to strengthen our hope by giving hope to people who need it. Our own Mark and Joy Gomez were there for over a year working. They can tell you it's the real deal. Real deal. A functioning children's home, 24-7, plus this distribution center outlet to help the world. You ever filled a 40-foot container? That's a lot of stuff. Impact Ministries International, Tom Stammon, he's all about traveling around the world and giving people hope. Prophetic words, encouraging words, exhorting people to move on, to hope for more. And he has an orphanage in Honduras. Our own children's pastor and a team of other people went and returned, went last week and returned, a week before last, and returned on Friday. And another team, Greg, got up about 2 a.m. to take another team from our church to the airport to go there as well. And Laura told me this morning, this place is the real deal. Tom is really doing a work in bringing hope to hopeless people. Bringing hope to hopeless people gives us a sense of purpose, gives us a vision. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. 
especially that brother and that sister, that person that is in a difficult season. I pray, Lord, that you'd use this word today to help them see the need to not stop hoping and help them see the hope of a better day that's coming to us all and face the reality that that day is not here yet. That's why we hope for what we don't see. And, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would use us as a body to encourage, to minister life this morning to those that need encouragement. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you're in a difficult season, I would like for us to pray for you. But you're going to have to let us know who you are. I don't want anybody pouncing on somebody that doesn't want prayer. But if you'd like to receive encouraging prayer, don't pray the problem, pray encouragement. If you'd like to receive encouraging prayer, if you could just stand and we'll have members of the body near you gather around you and we'll end the service by praying for those people here that are needing encouragement. Amen. Anyone here needing prayer, just stand. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anyone else? All right. I would assume the rest of us are encouraged. Are you? Any encouraged people here? All right. Uh, those who are standing, if you could just raise your hand until people are around you to pray. All right. The rest of us stand and leave our seats and go and pray for our brothers and sisters who are in a difficult season. All right. So look for, now that we're all standing, look for the person with their hand raised. Lord, we pray that you use your body right now to minister life and hope. Lord. your hand raised if no one's by you. I see a hand back here. Keep your hand raised if no one's come by you. Okay. Okay. All right. Lord, use us to minister life and encouragement.
lift up his countenance.